Hey everybody, welcome to Cheatash. My name is Chris, and today I am joined by a very special guest, author of the book Forget Me Not, Ariana Kabodian. And am I pronouncing your name right? Ariana. Ariana, yes. okay. <laughs> Thank like, you. For, thank you for asking. Ari, yeah, Ariana, Ariana. Okay. And did I pronounce your last name correctly? Cambodian. Cambodian. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's funny. I did have somebody I went to high school with, and he was Armenian. Um, his name was his last name was Changelian. Okay. Definitely an Armenian name for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that pretty much like anything ending in like I A N? Yep. Is yep. So I A N or Y A N mm -hmm. are pretty much giveaways. Um, mm -hmm. My father's first name is Armin, so that's also a pretty, <laughs> pretty good giveaway as well. Uh, but yeah. Wow. Yeah. But thank you so much for having me today, Chris. Uh, yeah. No. Absolutely. I did. I enjoyed uh, reading your book and hearing these stories that, you know, this part of history I'm not super familiar with. Um, and it sounds like, you know, you, you call, or people call the Armenian genocide, the forgotten genocide. So it seems like, uh, like a lot of people don't really know about mm -hmm. what happened back early 1900s in this part of the world. Um, I enjoyed this a lot. It definitely made me research it a lot more. Um, before we start with the book, I wanted to ask you, like, where were you, what were you doing before the book? Uh, as in, before I got the idea to write the book? Mm -hmm. Like, were you uh, in school, mm -hmm. working, etc.? All the above. All the um, above. <laughs> yeah, so I uh, started my MBA experience um, early, I want to say May 2020. And so I was also working full-time and going to school part-time. And uh, my sister gave me uh, a book to read about the Holocaust. It's mm -hmm. called The uh, Tattooist of Auschwitz. And it's about, um, it's a mostly true story, but mm -hmm. it's about um, a man and a woman who meet in a concentration camp and fall in love. And to me, I'm a, I'm a fast reader if, if the you know, topic is something that really entices me. And I've read the book in an afternoon. And it was something that stayed with me after, mostly because at the end of the book, it talked about what these two people did with their lives afterwards. And even though it's a mostly true story, to me, it was a way to honor those people, to honor what happened, and to preserve all of, all of the above. And growing up, because like you said, the genocide wasn't something that was taught in school. It wasn't something that you would see um, in a movie or in a book, for example. Or if you did, it was very, very seldom. And mm -hmm. so for me, I always found myself growing up, you know, yearning to read a book about the Holocaust. Or if there was a movie about the Holocaust, it would always be an interest of mine because of the unfortunate similarities and so because of that, my sister knew it was an interest of mine to, to read that book. Mm -hmm. And after reading the book, I, I realized that my family has stories similar to this. And it was a good way to preserve history and to preserve my ancestors' experiences. I didn't know exactly what it would turn into, but I just thought, let's just see where it goes but I began that journey early in August of 2020, and the book was completed by early January of 2021. Wow. Okay. It seems like like so many things. There were so many things started uh, during the pandemic. I remember reading in your uh, news release in the in the Detroit Free Press. This was like your pandemic project, and it's funny because I started this during the pandemic too and i oh cool yeah i feel like a lot of people started new journeys uh in that time period uh you know for some people they were stuck at home mm -hmm. you know not a whole lot of places you could go so all of a sudden ideas start flowing i had i thought of this idea and speaking of the holocaust the first book i did for the channel was 
if you've heard of uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Okay, I haven't. Let me write that down. He, he, um, he wrote the book on his experiences in a concentration camp. And it's crazy. He's a doctor. He's a psychologist. He had a chance to leave uh, Austria, but he chose to stay because wow. his parents couldn't leave the country. I think there was some sort of passport issue, something like that. And his parents wanted him to leave, but he said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to stay. Uh, I think he quoted uh, one of the Ten Commandments, uh, honor thy father and thy mother, and that's kind of what hit him like, oh. Oh, wow. I have to stay. Yeah. Eventually, he gets taken to one of the camps. He spends a, a pretty good amount of time there. Uh, but then the I believe he tells a story of his uh, the Americans coming, liberating the camp. And he goes on to be a prominent psychologist and speaks a lot um, about how hardship about sometimes you need struggle in your life to like persevere yeah mm -hmm. to like push through certain things or like to level up so to speak mm -hmm. um yeah no outstanding book outstanding book not and not too long either thank you quick read yeah yeah i mean it was important to me speaking on the topic of perseverance um mm -hmm. to have the reader especially because like you said with the the pandemic obviously we're dealing with a, a time of such unprecedented and we have never really experienced that before in our lifetime at least and mm -hmm. so for me writing a book about a topic as the severity within that in itself especially during a pandemic i really wanted to show the reader that even in the worst of times these people still made sure to not let that defining moment in their life to find them mm -hmm. that they still were able to find a way to give themselves the quality of life that they knew that they wanted and that they deserved but i also wanted to owe that to each survivor to talk about their life after as well because it was important for me to give them that honor and that respect as well mm -hmm. to show not only myself but to people that are reading the book that you can overcome anything, but you can also in a way, uh, you know, like what you said with the psychologist, go to college or get your career that you want or have the family that you want. Um, those things to me are so important and to not let what defined that moment in your life define the rest of your life, I think is so mm. powerful, especially during a pandemic. Mm. Yeah. And I wanted to... I wanted to ask you about the the people and the families that you outline in the book. How does one go about like finding these families and these people? Like, how did that start? A uh, great question. So, all these people in the book are related to me, whether it's a direct relationship or it's a um, relationship through a marriage. Oh, wow. um, so, everybody in this book is um, a family member. Uh, or an ancestor of mine in one way or an another. Mm -hmm. um, the first uh, story in the book um, is from my great-grandmother. And uh, she, Melanie Dilan Artar, she I knew since, I think until I was about 10 years old and she passed. But mm -hmm. at the time of the genocide, she was very, very young. She was, I think, a few months old when this happened. And so for me, knowing her and knowing what she endured to a degree uh, always stuck with me. And my grandmother in, in this book too, she survived the Istanbul pogrom and she immigrated uh, to the United States in her early 20s not knowing English. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't imagine what that would be like. That sounds terrifying. And mm -hmm. uh, to do that by yourself, that that's not something I know that I could do. So I give her a lot of credit. Uh, but for me, it was knowing a couple of these stories throughout my life and realizing that there are, are unfortunately a lot more. And so for me, I just did whatever I could to speak with as many family members as I could and try to 
um, preserve the stories as mm-hmm. many that that I that I could. There, uh, I think there's maybe two or three stories that didn't make it into the book um, because just it was just too too hard um, for mm-hmm. for my family members. And you know, for me, it was let's preserve it however we can. And so to me, you know, that was the most important thing. It wasn't like, let's see how many stories I can get in the book. It was, mm-hmm. no, let's honor who I'm interviewing. Let's honor who we're interviewing for and let's preserve it however we can. So I have them written and completed for me and for them. And to me, that's still honoring them. Uh, it's mm-hmm. also important for me to uh, hope that this book in a way motivates people to preserve their own history, their own family's history, because you don't have to be Armenian to uh, have some sense of, um, you know, association to this. Mm-hmm. Everybody comes from somewhere and we all, all of our ancestors endured some struggle to a degree. And it's important in my opinion to preserve it however we can with what we have. People don't need to necessarily write a book but if they are to gather things that they have and put them in one spot, or if there's an ancestor that's a family member that's still alive, you know, maybe just put your your you know iPhone up or whatever and do a recording and 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 do that process. I think is really important. Um, so I really hope that that motivates people to to dig deep into their own past too. It's the last interview I did was with uh, Ellen uh, Gellerman. Uh, who wrote a, a novel, and she told me the same thing. She said that I should record, like, my grandma and grandparents telling stories of when they came over here. Um, so we're, my family's Serbian, or Yugoslavian. At the time, it was Yugoslavia, but, you know, we're Serbian and Macedonian. And I was telling her this, and she's like, yeah, why don't you, like, do an episode with them, Chris? Like, wow, that's actually a really good idea. Yeah. And now you're mentioning it. So <laughs> like double, that makes me think. It's a like, sign. It's a sign. <laughs> yeah. I really should do that because I don't, I'm not super familiar with my family's history. I mean, you know, my parents, grandparents for the most part are still around, but I don't really ask the questions too much, which I should. Uh, that's kind of on me. Um, and I should do it sooner rather than later before. I mean, I don't, people are getting old now. I mean, it's going to get tougher and tougher. Um, with, within your community, did you grow up with like where you went to school and stuff? Are there a lot of Armenians in this area or where you grew up? Uh, well, southeastern uh, Detroit or southeastern Michigan has a, a, a big Armenian population for sure, mm-hmm. a, a great Armenian community. Um, I grew up going to Armenian church, but I also grew up going to Catholic school all my life. So um, it was a very interesting upbringing in the sense that I had the privilege to be around two similar but different religions. And... I mean, in high school, I took a world religions class and it was something that I thought was great because it really broadened my horizons. And to me, that's what, in my opinion, life is all about is learning and growing. I mean, even though I'm 100% Armenian, I learned so much without with this process of my book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the beginning of the book talks about the history of Armenia and what led up to the genocide, which I think is so important mm-hmm. because nothing appears out of nowhere. There's always something that leads to something else, which leads to something else, which is the end result. Um, I like metaphors and analogies. And I say that in terms of A to Z, nothing's just that drastic. There's always those letters in between that make the alphabet. And so for me, it was, okay, well, I know what A to Z is, but what are the letters in between? Let's try to figure that out. And so for me, it was really important to do that for myself because I really wanted to learn and to gain so much more knowledge than what I had known previously. But it was also important for me to think about the reader. If they were Armenian or if they weren't, or even if they knew Armenian history or if they didn't, that they were still able to get something from this book 
and that it would be as factually um, correct as possible was just so important. Yeah, you you sourced or like you referenced a lot of articles like I noticed in your like in the writing with the sub or superscripts or mm-hmm. subscripts references. Yeah, that was that was very cool to see. Um, it seems like you took that very seriously that, hey, I just want to make sure that this is coming from a good source that I'm kind of backing up what I'm saying here. Yeah, no, I, I thought that was very cool. Uh, if, is there like one particular book on this time period that that you'd recommend that stands out? Like, do you have something like that, like a book about the Armenian genocide that's like really good to get a good grasp of what was going on? Great question. From a historical perspective, I mean, this the topic is very heavy. It's something that is important to read and important to have books, you know, written about. Mm-hmm. But it is still a very hard subject to read, whether you're Armenian or if you're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a book um, I read recently. It's called The Resistance Network, and it's by uh, Hachik Moradian. I'll I'll uh, send that to you after this, but yeah. uh, he is a historian. He is a professor, um, and he works at the Library of Congress too. And so he had written and um, published a book, I believe, in 2021 as well. Oh wow! And it goes in depth about history, just not from a uh, from the Armenian history part of it, but from you know, for example, Syria. And he really mm-hmm. brings everything in together. And as hard of a read as it was, it was very well written from a historical perspective. It was, I mean, I learned so much. So to mm-hmm. me, that's a book that I would recommend. I think mm-hmm. it was maybe shy of 200 pages. So it's, it's okay. a good read, but it's not um, super long. But from a detail perspective from an analytical data perspective it was yeah it was very eye-opening and going back your analogy of a to z Mm -hmm. and all the letters in between here's an interesting question that sometimes i i ask myself this like do you think history takes jumps or does it take steps to get to where it's going if you if you know what i'm yeah asking no there. another great question well i think history but also the media i think both take jumps both take steps mm-hmm. saying that because at the end of my book i talk about the art sack war that was something that as i was writing my book was happening and unfortunately yeah. it wasn't being addressed in the media to the degree that it should be, or really at all. And so for me, because my book was originally just meant for my family, I never meant to make it publicly available, but I realized that using this book, using my voice to help others was so important because at the end of the day, I can only say, oh, this is happening, this is frustrating, but what am I going to do about it? Mm -hmm. Where is that, um, you know, mission in the sense of being proactive? And so for me, I realized this is how I can help others and, and help make a small difference, but a difference nonetheless. And so saying that, it was really important for me to put that at the end of the book to remind the reader that things are still going on, whether mm. that's mm-hmm. uh, the something pertaining to the Armenian genocide or something pertaining to another genocide from, from, some, from somewhere else. And saying that because unfortunately, very recently, there's been another attack in Armenia and Armenians have Mm -hmm. are dealing with that right now. And it's really hard to see that, but it's also harder in my opinion to know that it's not being addressed in the media and people want to be able to trust where they're getting their news from, whether that's from uh, a visual perspective or from a literary perspective. But for me, again, with the A to Z, well, are you only showing one side or are you showing everything? Mm -hmm. Because even though, for example, Ukraine, which my heart goes out to them, Mm -hmm. there's other things that are going on in the world. And there's Mm -hmm. other attacks on other countries that are going on in the world. So for me, 
I think A to Z is those letters in between are are other countries dealing with the, with this? Are other countries dealing with genocide, or are they dealing with um, you know attacks and it's not going it's going unreported? To me, that's really important because I really want some I want people to take this and realize, wow, I didn't know a lot about it or I didn't know it at all. And oh my gosh, it's still happening now. And I hope that turns a, another light bulb on in their head of, well, what else is happening that I'm not aware of? Let's, you know, be curious and let's look for things that maybe we don't even know where to look for. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of merit behind that. And I mean, I'll even say that for me, I'm always learning. I think it's great to learn and I think it's great to know that I don't know everything. Uh, people think, oh, you must know everything about Armenian history. I don't. I'm still learning, like I sort of said with the Resistance Network. I read that after my book was published, and I still gained so much more knowledge from it. So to me, I think the letters in between are acknowledging both sides, but in terms of literacy and media, but also taking another approach or adding another letter to the alphabet in the sense of, what am I going to do with what I don't know or know? Yeah. Speaking of the like, what's going on right now? Because I had, I saw a news article on that, couple, I think it was a couple days ago, yes. and then I saw uh, a YouTube channel that I follow. All of a sudden, they were talking about it, and I thought, wow, um, I had no idea mm-hmm. that this this was going on. And correct me if I wrong, if I'm wrong. Is this was there? there was fighting between Armenian and Azerbaijan uh, forces. Correct. Mm-hmm. And um, this was in, I can't pronounce the region. Um, Nagorno-Karabakh. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And there was something that happened. I don't know if you just mentioned this, like when you had um, started the book, this was, there was a conflict a couple of years ago too. Right. right? There, there's been conflict in that region, which Armenians refer to it as Artsakh, uh, for mm-hmm. forever, pretty much. Mm-hmm. But at the time, this was inhabited by Armenians. There's there was a you know the leader was Armenian, the the mm-hmm. language they speak was Armenian. It, it is it is part of Armenia for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, within the recent days, the land of the the country of Armenia is being attacked as well so it's it's much more than that region in particular it's it's unfortunately most of the the side of Armenia that's facing that area which really saddens me because to me you know life evolves but knowing where you came from and wanting that place to be thriving is so important and even though I haven't been to Armenia and I would like to go I hope that I'm able to, Mm. but I also hope that the people in Armenia are able to continue to persevere because Armenians are so resilient, but it's in things like this that question, make me question so much because if we're only showing what, what people want to see or what people already know, to me, that's the jump and that's not good. Mm -hmm. We need to show as many things as we can, because the more people are aware, the more that they hopefully want to help. And to me, there's knowledge and uh, merit behind that as well. It it seems like that where, first off, I don't even know, do you even think most people know where Armenia is? Like if they were asked, hey, identify this on a map. I don't think so, but I also yeah. think that or they're not alone with just not knowing where Armenia is. Mm-hmm. I I mean, I, I'm i a YouTube fan, and sometimes Same. I'll see a, a, a clip where somebody's walking down the street asking them, where is this located, or where yeah. is that located, yeah. or uh, how many states are in the United States, and you'll be baffled by the answers people say. So yeah. I would like to think that people know where Armenia is, but I'm also mm-hmm. very much aware that Unfortunately, geography is not something that many people uh, prioritize. (laughs) I mean, I'll even say I'm I I appreciated geography in high school, uh, 
but I'm sure there are some countries in the world that I'm not an expert on. Mm-hmm. So the location of where Armenia is, and it's funny because I had to look it up. So I didn't really, my knowledge on it was not very great, but that is a very, look, that part of the world. And it's the same thing with like where my family's from. That's a tough part of the world where Armenia is sandwiched between, correct me if I'm wrong, Turkey, Azerbaijan, Georgia, Russia. That seems like a very, very tough place to be. You're between the, like we were just saying, Azerbaijan and the conflict there, and then Turkey and the conflict there. That just does, I can't imagine living in a place like that. Um, And to think, you know, here, Luckily, I've heard people talk about this as far as like a, from a World War II, World War One perspective where the fighting in Europe, because they were separated by an ocean, and yes, we entered into uh, those, those conflicts, but they never reach really our shores. I mean, you could say Pearl Harbor, but um, and how much of a difference that makes between, you know, how Europe has evolved and like how the United States has evolved it's it's very fascinating to think just like the separation of the ocean and how much how much of an effect that has on us and then europe the indirect versus the direct even though yeah. we're still both experiencing it no absolutely yeah mm-hmm. yeah i uh when people have asked where where is armenia located especially in terms of turkey and azerbaijan i've said that it's almost sandwiched in between or it's the uh think of an oreo and the the cookie parts of it are azerbaijan and turkey and then the cream center is armenia Mm -hmm. and so i think or i know yes it would be terrifying to live in that center of such a tumultuous environment uh i i could not fathom what that what that is like the the constant fear Mm -hmm. uh the instability that brings that to me i have a lot of empathy and uh love for armenia and for armenians and i hope that my book well i know my book has been able to help out a lot of children uh because the the proceeds from the book or the author proceeds are are donated to help children uh provide them with shoes and i mean we take that as a luxury. I bought a pair of shoes mm. this morning. I mean, and, but when you're living in a, in an area or an environment where you don't have the ability to go out and buy a pair of shoes or, uh, the quality of the shoes you currently have aren't that great. Uh, it's really hard to, to live your day-to-day life. I can imagine. Mm-hmm. And especially being a child and you're constantly growing. So for me, that's so important to use this book as a way to honor the past, educate the present, and then to help the future. I think that to me is such a way to encompass the whole premise of what really, in my opinion, sustainability is about. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, besides this area, uh, Southeast Detroit, you named the other there's other large um populations of armenians across the country like did you mention like boston um philadelphia uh any others uh new jersey and la any like any particular reason why uh from this time period like people tended to come to like these areas was it just like the work that was available industry like here automotive Mm -hmm. etc like did that have a role i believe automotive was a a reason Mm -hmm. uh in the book a few of my um like uh for example my my grandfather my late grandfather worked for ford and so i believe that was an incentive of why specifically detroit uh, I think also part of it in terms of where they were, people were scattered 
once they, you know, came over here, mm-hmm. uh, here being the United States, I think that might have to do as well with relatives if they already had some relatives in certain places. I know that in the book, a few of my ancestors immigrated to certain parts based on who they knew and who was willing to take them in. And so it really didn't matter where they were located. It mattered that they were available and that they wanted to help. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, there's a little bit of that as just well, a little bit of, um, let's just say, for example, you got Boston and LA. Those are both coastal regions. Yeah. And so I think that probably had something to do with that as well. Uh, but so I guess maybe all of the above to a degree. Mm-hmm. And pretty much everybody or most who came over are going through Ellis Island. And then, you know, come pretty much everybody's entering in that way. As I'm sure maybe most most people were yeah. at this time period. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I mean, most people that immigrated came, whether you're Armenian or not, whether you're coming mm-hmm. from the genocide or not. Uh, people, to my knowledge, came over to Ellis Island. And Mm -hmm. doing the research for my book, the Ellis Island Foundation is incredible. Mm -hmm. I will give them props all day long. It was amazing to me just to see how detailed and accurate they were with not only the dates, but the ship that people arrived on or uh, the ages of people or, I mean, it didn't, it, you know, it took me a, a bit to figure out the site and, Armenian names is since you've read the book, you're you can attest, and you're Macedonian as well. So, uh, mm-hmm. the the spellings of the names weren't hundred um, percent accurate, but you know you got you learn to be a little creative with oh maybe they spelled the name like this or maybe they spelled the name like that, mm-hmm. and then you'd find it. Um, there were a couple uh, times where I would I knew the year that my ancestors arrived and I knew the boat, mm-hmm. and so. Based on that, I was able to zone in and then find, okay, who's everybody that was on the boat? And then wow. was able to kind of bring bring that circle a little bit smaller until I was able to find it. Mm-hmm. So, but it was, I mean, it was amazing. The, the, I guess, quote, quote, historian in me, I mean, I was up very late that, that night where yeah. I first discovered how that website works because I found it fascinating. In the book, there's some dates that were really prominent to me. One of them being one of my ancestors arrived in Ellis Island on Halloween one year. (laughs) And I thought, wow, you're coming over on Halloween. And here I am like, you know, thinking of my youth trick or treating on Halloween, just from a perspective standpoint. And, uh, you know, I really try to ground myself and to be humble and appreciative of the life that I have, but also to know about perspective, I think is so important whatever you're dealing with and Mm -hmm. for me that was one of those moments of perspective Mm -hmm. especially during the pandemic but um i mean yeah halloween for my ancestor was vastly different than the halloween that i experienced but i also know that i wouldn't have had that halloween had they not come over so it was a very eye-opening moment for sure and i had many of those so you mentioned so you just went this was a website did Mm -hmm. you have to you didn't have to like contact anybody or go to actually like go to new york Mm -mm. to research no i think i just put my email in and yeah and you know i think from there i could access it i don't think i don't think i had to pay for it which is really cool i think they just wanted my email and uh i think i think i had to log in every time i used it Mm-hmm. But it was nice, too, because you could save things. Mm-hmm. So uh, I haven't been on this site in a bit, but using my memory right now, um, there is like a part of your, let's say, your profile where you could just pull up all the places that you quote unquote pinned or that you saved. And yeah. to me, that was great because, yes, I was typing things out or I was writing things down. But if I wanted to go back and for a reference or just to to see it again or to see the boat or whatever it was it was right there mm-hmm. and it was nice to have everything cataloged too that i can't imagine travel at that time to like be on a boat for that long plus you have to i mean are you 
are you pretty much, would you have to sail through the Mediterranean? So you're on a boat the entire time. It's not like you're traveling like through the land to get to like, let's say Portugal. And then from Portugal, you're getting on a boat. You're going straight from like through the Mediterranean all the way to America. Mm-hmm. I mean, that <sighs> journey was long. not easy too. Yeah. There's a couple of stories in the book where uh, I believe one of my family members unfortunately passed away. And she was very young, uh, just because of either the starvation or the dehydration or the diseases on the boat. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of my uh, ancestors in the book as well, uh, I believe he was put on the boat, but I don't remember how exactly. Um, But I think the, the boat itself or the room he was in was just so hot. Uh And he didn't know if he was going to make it because of just how hot it was and how he couldn't like leave the room. Uh, So the journey itself was not an easy one. Mm -hmm. And to me, I can only imagine that strength that each, each person had to go through uh, just to leave the place that they've only known as tumultuous as that, as that environment was. And then the journey was not an easy one and they didn't even know where they were going to. Right. I, I could not. And they also didn't speak the language that they were of the place they were going to. I I mean, I, I know times are hard for people and, you know, I'm not trying to diminish that at all. Hard times are hard times. But again, with the perspective, I could I know for me, I could not I could not go through that. And I have a lot of uh, compassion, empathy, respect, admiration for for all of those people that did it regardless if they're my relatives or if they're not because that's just strength on a whole nother level mm-hmm. so the language that's spoken in armenia is just armenian yes okay mm-hmm. is that similar to like other languages uh well my grandmother she speaks turkish as well mm-hmm. um a lot of armenians uh had to flee their their home and unfortunately again the sandwich uh and Mm -hmm. metaphor or geographical metaphor uh had to go to enemy territory Mm -hmm. and so again i could not fathom what that must have been like but a lot of the the survivors of the genocide and and uh the next generation that followed being my great-grandmother my grandmother for example spoke turkish Mm-hmm. Uh, so I believe there is some overlapping of the language to a degree, but I don't speak Armenian fluently. So I, I, that, I guess that is all that I'll say on that. So I, that was actually, I was going to ask how well, like growing up, did you have to speak it like in the house, like with your parents, family, etc. Um, my mom is fluent. It was her first language. Armenian It is her first language, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, because my, my father did not speak it fluently, so mm-hmm. um, English is my my only my only my only language. But uh, you know, when I would pray in the past, I, I would pray in Armenian. Um, and I know I know how to say a few Armenian sentences and to carry the conversation on. Yeah. Uh, and and that's pretty much it. Yeah. No, I'm. I'm kind of the same way. I was going to ask, yes. <laughs> yeah. I grew up, we didn't use it really growing up unless I was over at my grandparents' house because uh, they they don't speak English. So when I was little, I pretty much, that's the only way I could communicate with them. And they kind of pretty much raised me. I spent a lot of time with my grandparents as a child. And then as I grew up, spend less and less time with them so i lost and i wasn't even that good to begin with but i lost like a lot of it and to like this day it's very broken macedonian like every other word is an english word and luckily like my grandparents understand english better than i understand macedonian and i feel like i should be better and I've thought about like relearning it or, um, you know, taking classes and such, but I don't, it's a tough language oh, and yeah. there's two alphabets too. 
Oh, there are? Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. So if you, I can't read it. I don't, yeah, that's a whole nother, uh, like whole nother thing. But yeah, there's two alphabets. There's traditional, you know, traditional like uh, English letters. And then there's a Cyrillic, which is, oh, wow. Looks, um, looks pretty crazy if you ever see it. <laughs> yeah. The uh, reading Armenian is something I, cannot do uh it is a beautiful it's a beautifully written language for sure but mm-hmm. it, it is something that is uh surpassed me for right now at least but uh, in terms of what you're saying with you know how you spoke more macedonian when you were younger versus now to me i guess um you know you're not in the environment where many people speak macedonian and yeah uh from your grandparents perspective they are in an environment where people speak English. And so I guess for me being an outside observer from what you just said, it makes sense why they are able to grasp more of the English language because that's what they're surrounding by. That's what they're surrounded by. So giving you a little bit of credit. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So (laughs) my parents uh, went back actually uh, this summer. They were there in May. Uh, My parents are, pretty much fluent and they said that when they went back there uh they picked up on some subtle differences in you know these little like these dialects that are very particular to like the certain village where they grew up in um yeah it maybe it was like within the first couple of days there was kind of a learning curve but then once like to what you're saying, once you're fully immersed in it, they were fine. Like they, no issues mm-hmm. at all. Uh, they had a blast. I, I've never been, but. I was going to ask, yeah. I, I'd like to go. I'd like to go someday. Um, have, like with your family, have any of your other family members been back to Armenia? Uh, my mom has, I believe, twice. Mm-hmm. Um I know that my, I think my mom and my grandmother went back to Turkey a few years ago, uh, which my grandmother loved. I mean, you know, it was where she grew up and Mm -hmm. she really enjoyed showing my mom where she went to school because education was so important to them and still is. And I'm really glad that they both were able to have that Mm -hmm. because kind of like what I just was saying in a way of your grandparents being around your environment it was really cool that my mom was able to have an opportunity to be around what my grandmother what her environment her upbringing and that surrounding part of who you know formed her into who she is yeah that she was able to experience that too um it's interesting just to see or to be the outside observer of how different people's lives were and what they are now and even though I'm close with my grandma, uh, it's something that I I have no idea what her life was about before she came over here. And I think that's really interesting that my mom was able to have that experience to travel and see that. But I think it's also great that I was ha- able to have the experience of sitting down with my grandma and having these conversations with her because, again, like what I started off our conversation with honoring the history, however that is, honoring the person is just really important. Yeah, that's really cool. I didn't I didn't know this until reading your book. So are most most Armenians are Christian Orthodox? Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's the same that's the same with us, like pretty much mm-hmm. all Orthodox. Yeah. Um and that's a pretty like religion is a pretty big part of that community. Yeah. I, I, I know that in Armenia, there are slash were many, many ancient churches. I mean, in the book mm-hmm. I mentioned how Armenia was the first, uh, country to adopt, um, religion or Christianity in, I think it was like 301 AD, wow. 307 AD. I don't know. I'm not, I guess I could look right now, but, um, <laughs> so they definitely pride themselves a lot on that. But Mm -hmm. I think also there's just a lot more to what Armenians are. 
And I think that's great. I think it's good to have a sense of religion, the higher power. I think it's a good um, also to have so much of who we are surrounded by food as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, However your love language is, whether that's through prayer, whether that's through service and or through, um, you know, making food for other people and bringing that family aspect together is just so important. But I think it's also so great that there's many different avenues that really make our meanings who they are. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that you can relate to that too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Food is very, very big. What's your favorite uh, Macedonian food? Um, I would say we have something called uh, chabapchina, which are like, um, I don't want to say hot dogs, but okay. they are <laughs> like... A sausage? Uh, sausage, okay, yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, I would say that's probably that's probably my favorite. Do you put, I don't want to say ketchup on it, but what, what do you put, <laughs> what do you put me just thinking of a hot dog? Um, yeah. What, what do you eat it with? Is it with a bun or is it? You know, I'm very plain. I just eat them as is. Um, I don't put, yeah, no ketchup, no mm-hmm. barbecue sauce. Not necessarily that I want to like ruin anything. I'm very... I try well, to be health conscious. I guess what so. is the authentic way to eat it? How how do Macedonians typically eat, eat that? I don't think it's mm-hmm. with barbecue sauce, but I'm yeah. just saying from a authentic perspective, what is the the typical traditional way to consume it? I would say chapapchina with a side of um oh what do we call it? Uh, it's basically like sauerkraut. Okay. Um, but I forget the exact word for it. Uh, something like that. Um, and then we have sidene, just cheese, mm-hmm. uh, feta cheese. That's always really big. And um, uh, peppers. Uh, yeah. Serbians, Macedonians, they, yeah, mm-hmm. love, love peppers. That's cool. No, yeah. That, I mean, I'm picturing that in my head right now. That sounds good. Question for you. You asked me about, you know, books with Armenian history. Mm-hmm. Is there a book about Macedonian history that I could read that you would recommend? I'm putting you on the spot now. <laughs> yeah. No, that that's a great question. Um, I have, personally, I have not read read any to recommend one. My dad has one that's simply, it's just titled The Serbs. And I don't know who the author is. But it is a book, I think it's called The Serbs. Uh, yeah, Guardians of the Gate. This is it right here. Oh, okay. Um, the Guardians of the Gate by R.G.D. Laffin. And... Again, I, I've never read it, mm-hmm. but amongst all the books that my dad has, and he's got a lot, he's got multiple bookshelves. This is like the only one on anything related to like our family uh, and like the history of our heritage. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it's got to be pretty good if my dad has Trusted it. Trusted recommendation. <laughs> so. No, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I remember when we spoke uh previously to this or prior to this Mm -hmm. we were talking about books that influenced us and to you know me my in my book for example and you with this podcast for example because it's surrounding I think it's a really cool thing what you're doing by the way of interviewing authors and learning about the author's story but also the book and the story behind the story I think that's just really unique thing that you're doing and I think that's um really eye-opening too just from the side of the interviewee but also the interviewer mm-hmm. uh and so i guess the question for you is what are some books that you're currently reading that are inspiring to you now because i know when we talked last we were talking about books that inspired us with the love of learning and reading but what about now too hmm right as of right now the book's well, I'll tell you the books that I'm reading right now. Uh, one is called uh, Debt 
by David Graeber. Uh, it's a book about debt. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> uh, basically, like the history of debt and money and how they've been used. And then the other book I'm reading is uh, Game Change. You ever heard of that one? Game Change, no. Uh, it's about the uh, 2008 um, presidential election. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Very, uh, very interesting uh, book, like hearing the backstory of everything that was going on at that time. Mm-hmm. And I obviously, like, I'm old enough. I remember what was going on, but I wouldn't say I was very, like, aware if that makes sense. So it's cool to read this book and kind of see that, oh, this is the things that are that happened at this time are kind of still things that happen today. I I don't, I don't know if it's anything really too different Mm -hmm. uh, from the sounds of it. Um, those are two I, oh, and I always read, um, I'm journeying through the Bible too. So that's, that's another book that I'm reading. Um, as far as your question on inspiration though, Mm -hmm. I, in books that have really inspired me. I guess the Bible would be one that you said, because you, you said that you've been continuously reading it. Yeah. So I guess like a book that you'd go back to a lot or a book that's a comfort or just a continuous inspiration. I mean, it can be more than one, too. Mm-hmm. I know I have more than one. <laughs> yeah. The Bible, yeah, I've been going through it. It's been, like, very slow. Mm-hmm. Like, a chapter, like, here and there, like, once every couple of days. So it's 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 been a while. Um, I remember a guy I was listening to say that sometimes... And I'm trying to do this in my read read through. I'm not the best at it, but he says sometimes when we read the Bible, we take it in. Um, it's we take it in its length, but not its depth. And he he was what I think he says by that is sometimes like we just read the words, but we don't see the deeper meaning in it. And it's. It's tough for me, especially reading like King James. Sometimes I have to reference like an online source. Like, uh, what was what were they saying here? Because mm-hmm. I just don't, I don't quite get it from the King James version. I know they have other versions that are like English Standard, NAV, I believe it's called, etc. Um, but yeah, King James is can be kind of tough. The meaning tough behind the meaning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And who knows even if that meaning was lost uh, from the translation previously, which I think was Greek. I think from Greek it was translated to English, to King James, even though it was originally written in, um, I could be getting this wrong, Aramaic and Hebrew, and then Greek, and then English as we have it today. Mm-hmm. I think. I. My history is not super well-versed. No worries. <laughs> um, definitely the Bible. There are some very inspirational things uh, from the Bible, mm-hmm. I- inspirational stories. Um, from the New Testament, I go back and I reread certain sections of it. I love something that Jesus said. Um, the the stone that the builders rejected became the head of the corner. Oh, wow. Um, I think it's repeated definitely in Matthew and I think in the other Gospels too. And I always took that as, okay, so the builders have this stone, right? And they cast it aside as like it's not good, but in the end it becomes like the centerpiece of your temple. Mm Mm-hmm. And that kind of reminds me of just things in my life where I I totally disregard certain things as not too important, something like that. And in the end, it ends up coming back as, oh, no, that was actually really important. Right. 
No, that's interesting. <laughs> I mean, you were just talking about how often you read it or don't read it, but to me, progress is progress no matter how small it is. <laughs> and saying that because of the analogy that you said, which I thought was so profound of reading something and trying to understand it from the perspective of the length and the depth of it versus just reading it to read it. Yeah. Are you absorbing it? And to me, that's the biggest takeaway of anything, whether it's my book, if it's the Bible, if it's a book you want to read about, a topic you're interested in, or even if it's an article that you're reading about, whatever that is. Mm. I think taking the second to question it or to say, I don't know what that means, or I think I do, but let's try to figure out more. To me, that's progress. Not necessarily yeah. completing the article as fast as I can or completing the book as quickly as I can, no yeah. matter the length of the article or the book. I think it's, well, what am I going to take away from it? And how am I going to grow and learn from it? But also, how am I going to apply it to my life? Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm reading a book. Well, I'm bringing two books right now, I guess, that inspire me. Uh, one of them's it's speeches and it's by uh, Barack Obama and Ken I can't pronounce his last name uh with an with an m but mm -hmm. it's all of his speeches throughout his presidency okay and i think that to me i mean i like to to write i like to i like to write my my scripts for speeches that i've given and uh i think it's really cool just to see how people evolve through their writing, through their experience, and to see that progression and that ability to gain a sight of how somebody is growing through their words, I think is just so profound and inspiring. And I mean, you know, there are speeches he had to write about for hard topics and speeches he had to write about for, for topics that, like his inauguration, you know, it's a whole wide variety of them. But you see somebody grow so much, and I think it's such a unique thing to have all of those in one book and to see somebody's journey in the process of it because we're all growing and we're all learning. And I think there's a lot of, I've said this word a couple of times, but merit behind seeing how people can evolve through their words and also mm -hmm. how they display their words too. Another book mm -hmm. I've been reading that's, I guess, in a way like my Bible, I read it and reread it and kind of jump around it, not chronologically. It's called 101 Essays That Change the Way You Think, and it's by Brianna Weist. And she's a, well, I just turned 30, but she's a 29-year-old author, oh, wow. just like me. And wow. she takes the time to dive into things that people might be aware of, but they might not want to acknowledge. No one's perfect. I'm not perfect. But to me, it's, well, how can I work on what I want to work on? Or how can I work to be better? I think we constantly evolve in life, but there's so much of an importance of, well, how can I continue to evolve and grow in ways that enhance me and enhance the people I'm around? Because the moment where I feel like I stay stagnant or I stay comfortable, that's where I stop growing. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't want to be stagnant. I want to continue to learn because that's my opinion. What life's about is always trying to stay curious. And so she has each different essay is on a different topic and sometimes there are lists and sometimes they're not, sometimes they're paragraphs, sometimes they're more formal essays, but they all revolve around topics that everybody can relate to. And I think that's so important, too, because unity is something that we need so much right now. We already needed before the pandemic, um, during the pandemic. And I guess we're still in the pandemic, but I, I, I hope we are towards the end of the pan pandemic. Uh, but that's something where I really want or I hope that people can get from my book is a sense of community, a sense of purpose and a sense of inspiration behind the hardest times that there's always a a path to see the light and if people really want to take the time to go in depth or if they don't to mm -hmm. me is the biggest differentiator what would you say what what's next for you 
after this book? Do you foresee another book on the horizon? Um, good question. I, well, I'm starting uh, my, my job in a week. I'm going to be working for Deloitte in uh, sustainability consulting, which is mm-hmm. something I've always wanted to do. I got my undergrad in sustainable business specifically. And so to me, that's going to be my, my main priority. I do like to write. Um, I have a couple of things that I've been working on, but at the moment I'm not, I'm not working on them right now, but I was Mm -hmm. to me. I think if I want to go back to them, sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, are they about Armenian history? No, but, uh, to me it's, you know, I like to write and if something turns into something cool, I'm not really on a time, a timeline of it. Mm -hmm. uh this book in particular i was on a timeline because april is the month where the genocides remembered and i wanted the book to come out in april and so for me working towards that timeline was really uh challenging from a time perspective too but in doing that while working and going to school was a lot but i'm trying to give myself the sense of grace of we don't need to be doing too much all the time. And so for me, I'm trying to take this as a lesson of, okay, if I want to do a chapter of this book one day, or if I want to just work on writing on this other book today, or if I want to do research, let's do that. Or if I want to read one of those two books I said, to me, like that's still something that I'm just trying to do, but also being aware of, I don't need to write a chapter a day. What am I working towards? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, maybe I'll write another book. Maybe I won't, but I really like the writing process. I like writing in detail. I like being descriptive. I mean, I know how you and I both talked about inspiration of books when you were growing up. And for me... I think there's just something so magical about an author being able to write so eloquently that the reader can envision what the writer is writing and to picture that in your mind with all the detail, I think is something so unique. And so for me, I really like to do that. So who knows? I don't want to say like, never say never. I won't write something again, but maybe I will. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I look forward to the day where if you do write something <laughs> that I that I read it again and and uh we have you back on the podcast. Yeah, I this mean thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. you and getting to know you more and uh yeah, I mean I'm definitely going to be um what is it called the the guardian of the gate i'll definitely be be checking that out and uh because you know i i'm not an expert on uh, macedonian history but i i want to learn more about it um me too i think there's a lot of i don't know i think it, it's cool to see about the different um ethnicities and mm-hmm. the history surrounding those and I mean, hearing about you described. I'm not even going to try to pronounce that sausage because oh, I, yeah. I'm going to I'm going to I'm, I'm, I'm literally going to butcher it. Um, but it's cool just to 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 learn more about that. I mean, I know in my book I talked about Armenian cuisine, but just to whatever little bit of knowledge I can get, I think is really really informational. But yeah, a lot of respect for you and what you're doing, and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, you know listening to this when when it comes out and also listening to the other ones in the future too so thank you so much chris no yeah thank you very much ariana and again the book is uh forget me not armenian genocide recollections uh really quick for if um for people interested in purchasing the book is the best way to get it um amazon or your website uh, great question. So actually, very recently, um, I've partnered with Ingram Books. And so my book is, uh, within the last few weeks, it's becoming widely available online. So it's going to be uh, digitally available. Like, you could buy it online okay. anywhere. anywhere. Um, so whether that's Barnes & Noble, whether that's uh, Schuler Books, whether that's Amazon, 
if there if there's a bookstore anywhere like you can get it online so um i say barnes and noble schuler books amazon are like the top three mm-hmm. um but yeah for me it's a great it's you know still kind of baffling that my books in those you know uh what is it like that it's in barnes and noble for example yeah. and wow. but for me it's great and important that the book's able to be bought wherever because the more people that want to attain this now can and the more people that are able to buy this book because it's more available the more kids we can help in the process so to me that's a a win-win-win yeah (laughs) so yeah well, but, very cool. But yeah, um, my website is uh, forgetmenotarmenianbooks.com. And so I have all of my, my interviews and articles on my book and information about me and also links to buying the book on there too. But but yeah, if you just type the title and my name in, it should pop up as well as the, the BNN thing too. So thank you. Absolutely. And I'll include uh, links I'll include a link to your website too in the description uh, once this gets posted. And yeah, I, again, I really appreciate you coming on and having this conversation with me. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, and I learned a lot, both reading the book and sitting down here with you and talking to you. And like I said, ne- we'll have you back on to talk about the next <laughs> the next uh, uh, work that you that you write book so. 2.0 yeah uh but yeah thank you i i appreciate you chris and it was great to learn so much about you too so i've i've learned so much just in our conversation today so thank you again for your time absolutely and again everybody thank you very much for listening my name is chris this has been Chitash. take care